Now, during this uh, Advent season, we've been taking some time to look at both the birth narrative and then try to tie that to the passion narrative. And we have sought really to connect the cross to the cradle in a way that invites new understanding and new meaning. And uh, really to look for some of the less obvious understandings that can be drawn from the text uh, to really dramatically impact the way we look at the scriptures. Joan Chittier writes this, the liturgical year opens with Advent, the season that teaches us to wait for what is beyond the obvious. It trains us to see what is beyond and behind the apparent. Advent makes us look for God in all those places we have, until now, ignored. Now, the other day, I was reminded of an occurrence that happens to me quite frequently pre-pandemic. I walked out of the church office building just upstairs, walked out, and immediately was stopped by a man who said, just the man I was looking for. Now, mind you, I had never met the man before. In fact, I'd never even seen the man before, but he was convinced that I was exactly who he was looking for. So he said, "Um, just the man I'm looking for, and I said, "Uh, and who exactly is that? And he replied, Kevin. I said, I'm sorry, my name is Russ. And the conversation went exactly like this. I said, we are occasionally mistaken and confused for one another, but he is the stronger of the two. And the man, he said, said this, you're just going to give him that? And I said, no, I think he's earned it. So we had this little dialogue about who exactly I was and who exactly he was looking for. And then I left and went to a meeting at a cafe and walked up to the front and said, I'm ordering for the two of us, here's what I'd like, and he immediately stopped me and said, I know you, is your name Mike? I said, no, and he's like, you're friends with my cousin, I don't know your cousin, I don't know you, this happens to me at least once a month or more that I am mistaken for someone, it could be at a cafe, it could be at a restaurant, a wedding, wherever it is, I am someone's cousin, I am someone's best friend, I'm someone that was met at a camp somewhere at one point, and almost every single time, it is not true. I am not that person. So as an average-looking, bald, white, middle-aged man with facial hair, apparently we are not a rare breed. I find that hurtful. But uh, either that or I have hundreds of doppelgangers in the world. Um, But truth of the matter is, I am quite often mistaken. But also, the only thing that has ever cost me is really some awkward conversations. It's never cost me significantly in the ways that others who are mistaken for crimes or for other things have endured. But I started to think about what it really means to be mistaken, and I have found that being more than mistaken, what has been more costly for me, and perhaps for you as well, is being misunderstood. If you have ever been misunderstood, unintentionally, 
and someone feels as if you've done something, said something, thought something that you should not have, or it came across the wrong way, you know that that can have a dramatic effect on you, on the other person. It can create tension. And the more I thought about this idea of being not just mistaken but misunderstood, it dawned on me that perhaps the most misunderstood person in the history of all humanity is Jesus. And if there was ever a time in which Jesus is more misunderstood than now, I'm not sure what time that would be. In our cultural moment, he is experiencing some of the most misunderstanding. Just pause for a moment and think about some of these illustrations. To some, Jesus is 100% a pacifist. To others, he is totally for just war and the destruction of the other. To some, Jesus would get vaccinated. And yet, to others, Jesus would never allow someone to sacrifice their freedom. To some, Jesus would wear a mask. But to others, Jesus would be totally against the tyranny of mask mandates. Jesus is caring and sensitive and in touch with his feelings. And yet, Jesus really only thinks you're a man if you have a chainsaw and shoot wild animals. Jesus welcomes everyone. But Jesus also has a very clear list of all of the people who are not welcome. Jesus believes everyone is a leader, but Jesus also, to some, think that is only the case if you're a man or not cisgendered or of different orientation. See, Jesus loves everyone, but a majority of everyone will spend eternity in conscious torment. You get the idea. We don't have to go into more illustrations. The point is, Jesus is wildly misunderstood, incredibly misunderstood. And my suggestion this morning is that um, he does not quite find that as troubling as perhaps we do. And he seems to be able to handle that and carry that a little bit more easily. And in fact, you don't ever see him correcting misinterpretations that he experienced throughout his time on earth. And what I want to do is look at the birth narrative now and to think of it through this lens of being misunderstood. Now, when we tell the Christmas story, you know how it is. We like to tidy it up a little bit. We like to make it a little bit more palatable. Uh, we want all of the, um, the people in the nativity scene to look very cute, all the characters in the right place. So we imagine this beautiful wooden like arbor that's a stable with the light kind of just shimmering right on Jesus who's resting in this little box with hay in it. And it's just the size of a tiny little baby Jesus. And the shepherds are cute and fluffy uh, with their sheep, and they've got their perfect staffs, and they stand there looking just very educated and clean. And you have a donkey that I'm sure they rode in on, and that donkey is just sitting off to the side, kind of peering over Joseph's shoulder, big smile on the donkey's face. He's taking it all in, really enjoying the moment. Nobody's crying in the scene. Baby's doing great. At the same time, there's these like really interesting, somewhat exotic-looking wise men who've come from the east that are there with gold boxes and beautiful gems and 
gifts of great value. And that's kind of the scene and the scenario that we paint when it comes to Christmas. And if you've ever seen the movie Inside Out, it's phenomenal. I would encourage you to watch it. But I want to, for just a moment, pretend that sadness was telling the story. That sadness had an opportunity to say, let me give you my perspective on the Christmas story. It would sound a little bit like this. There were a couple young kids. Mary was about 13 years old. They had a rough engagement story. She went away. They had a little time apart. She came back pregnant. An angel comes to Joseph and says, marry her anyway, and he reluctantly agrees. They then are informed that they have to leave for a census, that they have to leave the area they're from and go to another place. It's not an ideal time to travel for them at all. She is great with child. They travel to a place of their heritage, which means they have a lot of family connections in town. But as we know, there was no room in the inn. But in truth, the inn wouldn't have been their first choice anyway. Likely what happened is they had no room with family. They had no room because they were rejected, left to fend for themselves. This is likely due to the scandal of this small child. So there was no room in the inn. They had the option to stay out back with the animals. It was likely a small cave. Mary had labor pains as she rode the donkey around back. They had birth in a stable. There was no epidural, no nurses on call. It was cold, confusing. And they were wondering to themselves, what is next? What was next was very uneducated, dirty individuals coming down from a hill saying that they had seen this crazy sighting of angels floating above singing to them, and they had to come see the child. Weird things were happening, and then all of a sudden, nothing happened. Nothing. A year goes by, nothing. Another year goes by, nothing. They're just raising the little baby. Joseph's working as a carpenter. Life is back to normal. Parents give them weird looks around town. Mom is still considered a tramp. The people point out at little baby Jesus. Mary tells them these weird things about dreams and about how this child would be special, and they discount all of it. He's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. At some point, out of the blue, Jesus is playing in the backyard. He's about two. These wise men come, foreigners, completely out of the blue. They ride up. They present him with gifts, a gift that foreshadows his death. The angels tell them to leave everything behind and flee immediately. They escape as refugees to Egypt. And all the baby boys, two and under, in the entire area and region are killed. It is called the slaughter of the innocents. Mom and dad and baby hang out in Egypt as refugees while the violence dies down and they're told to come back to Israel. And then just when they thought, oh, finally, we're back home, things get worse. They return, but they're unwelcomed. 
they come back with refugee status and they're not desired back in their own hometown. And you can imagine why, if you think about it for a moment. Jesus gets dropped off at the little Jewish school. But he's the only boy in class. Everyone else in class is a girl, which from maybe a five-year-old boy perspective seems like a bad thing. All the males under two were killed, so there's no boys around, no one for him to go hang out with around the playground. All the mothers look at Mary, and every time they do, they are reminded of the son they lost. They're resentful of Mary. And Jesus stands out in all of these undesirable ways every single day he goes around town. And on top of that, it is likely that Jesus had a nickname. He may have been called a mamzer. Now, this would have been a label that would have stuck with Jesus throughout his growing up days, especially among a community that understood his birth. See, mamzer is the Hebrew word for bastard. Chitlin says this, one of the one element of the text that is often overlooked is the issue that this pregnancy evokes, the charge of illegitimacy. No matter how you slice it, Jesus' birth cannot be squared with Joseph's and Mary's wedding date. It is possible that other gospel evidence suggests that Jesus was perceived as a bastard child. See, the conditions of Jesus' conception as Matthew refers to them, made him a mamzer no matter what his actual paternity was. So to be clear, scholars believe Jesus would have likely been known to and referred to as a mamzer, which meant he belonged to the caste of mamzers, which would have been a little bit lower than a Gentile slave. It means he would have not been permitted for certain roles within the temple, He would have on him marriage restrictions, like he could only marry a foreigner or freed slaves or others of grave blemish. So for Jesus, being misunderstood started at birth. For Jesus, all he's ever known is being misunderstood. All he's ever experienced is being an outsider, even in his hometown. But here's the interesting part. While the rest of everyone around saw him as a mamzer, this certain group saw him as a king. And they came from afar just to worship him as king. I want to pause here for a moment, and I want to give you a couple questions to think through for small group discussion or for your own time just to meditate on. Here are a few. You can jot them down, but we'll also put them into In the Loop this week. First question, how have you misunderstood Jesus? Or another way of asking that is, how has your upbringing shaped the Jesus you know or that you believe you know? Does Jesus seem to be for and against the very things that you are? If so, why? Last question, what do you believe about Jesus today that you didn't believe about Jesus 10 years ago? See, the world would have seen Jesus as Mamzer, but the Magi saw him as king. And that is a thread that runs from the birth narrative 
for the passion narrative. See, we know the story. Jesus grows up. He lives among the people. They start to see more and more interesting things about who this Jesus is. And then two groups kind of descend on Jesus. The religious leaders and the political establishment. And those two groups see him in a way that again makes him completely misunderstood. The religious leaders see him as a rule breaker. They see him as someone who does not follow religious tradition, who does not obey Torah. Someone who among his community is starting a religious faction from the temple. Someone who calls out hypocrisy. Someone who says to those in power and authority that the way you are treating the people, the marginalized, the poor, is not okay with God. And how do I know? Because I am Yahweh. And that is not going over well. He's misunderstood. But the political establishment sees him at the same time as a rebel, stirring up political issues, gaining power and a following, trying to overthrow or usurp power structures, possibly starting in a way that will topple their establishment, that will overturn their power. And so both groups work together to kill him. Both groups see him as a rebel, a criminal, someone who they want to discard until this one aha moment. We read it a little bit earlier. Jesus is being mocked as the king of the Jews. Jesus is being mocked as being God. When the text tells us that, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, he is the King. See, the Magi didn't misunderstand. They declared him as King. The centurion, the whole while, misunderstood all the way until that moment. And then he understood him as king. So the question we have before us this morning is, do we understand him as king? Have we misunderstood him or do we also declare him as king? And I'm not talking about asking Jesus into your heart, that kind of idea. That's all well and good, but what I'm talking about is to be in a relationship with Jesus means to be in a place of surrender, to be in a commitment with our whole selves to our King. Bates says it this way, with regard to eternal salvation, rather than speaking of belief, trust, or faith in Jesus, we should speak instead of fidelity to Jesus as cosmic Lord or allegiance to Jesus as king. What we're really talking about is allegiance. See, when the good news that the Creator God has acted decisively to put the world to right, and part of that putting the world to right is to restore our relationship with Him, when, when that causes us in some unique way to wake up in our consciousness to understand who God is, all the language around that idea is always allegiance. 
See, the kingdom is not experienced by tiny little reforms, but rather by complete rebirth. Right? To be born again means to become a child, to become a learner again, to abandon our adult adult pretensions about what we already know, what we think we've got figured out, and to accept a childlike posture that says we have so much yet to learn. See, to be born again means to deny ourselves and follow. It means to make restitution and withhold nothing. It means to lay down your very life and in the end find it. And that is the call of our King. So let me pause right here to ask just a couple more questions. In what areas of your life do you need to completely surrender to Jesus as King? We are in an Advent season of waiting, and part of that waiting is to continue to invite us to give. Not to give resources, not to give time, not to give give life. All of us complete allegiance. And so, the next question, what are you still withholding? What is an example in your life of God having your full allegiance? And final question, what do you need to let go of in religion or unlearn of God to have freedom? Now, let me end with this. I'm under no illusion whatsoever that uh, we will not still misunderstand Jesus. We will. It's our human condition. We're primed for it. And five years from now, if we were to give this same exact talk, we'd find ourselves in a place where we're going, man, I have misunderstood so much. I have yet so much to learn. And that seems to be something Jesus is very okay with. He seems to be all about our intention. He seems to be all about our pursuit. And that as we come closer, and as we lean in more, as we wait during Advent, as we anticipate, it is in that spirit and in that heart that we better understand him as king. So may we, as a community, humble ourselves enough to recognize that we may mistake him from time to time but he is certainly our king. Let's pray.